0: Early in today's epistle, Peter talks about um, life during the time of exile. <laughs> I don't know if he could have found a better word for what, for what everybody I know is experiencing right now. You may feel in exile because you have to stay at home. You may feel in exile because you've had to leave school and are doing, doing your classes at home. You may feel in exile because you've been furloughed from work or laid off. Or maybe you're still working, maybe even harder, but getting paid less. That's an exile. You may be sick and in the hospital. Or you may be okay, but you're in a nursing home or an assisted living facility or in an independent living uh, in uh, home but cut off from friends and family. That's an exile. You may be in the medical profession and your exile may be that you're having to relate to patients through layer after layer of personal protection equipment or across one side of a screen to another side of a screen, unable to be with the person that you're ministering to and and helping. We as a church are experiencing something of an exile. We're having to worship the way we are. I'm on this side of a screen, you're on that side of a screen, and we're 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 reflecting today on Jesus as the bread of life. And we're enjoying him as bread of life through word and song and prayer, but we, we can't enjoy him as bread of life in the bread. So there's exile all around. And I think that Peter wants to offer some perspective through three Ps, imperishable, precious, and purified. First, imperishable. It's really interesting to me the way that Peter introduces the idea of us living during a time of exile, but then puts it against the canvas, the backdrop of God's imperishable plan to bring hope, healing, and salvation. In fact, he refers to Peter, Peter refers to the father's son as one who was destined from before the world. Actually, the word is known before the foundation of the world, meaning loved before the foundation of the world. Now, I'm not really sure what the best science science is saying about just how old the world is, how old creation is. What, 14 billion years? I don't know. Whatever it is, before that, the Father knew the Son. Before that, he was already contemplating this world and what was going to happen to it, the beauty of its creation, the tragedy of its fall, and then his inexorable plan to redeem it and to make everything all right again. And in a day in which we see bodies stacked up in morgues, because the funerals can't keep up with the deaths. And when when the death count in our nation and in the world just keeps reminding us of how frail and how fragile we are, it's good for us to reflect on just how far back God's loving intentions begin and how far out they will go. That's part of what Jesus wants to communicate with these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He comes alongside them on the third day and he sees that they're despondent because their prophet has been killed and they think that the story is over. But he comes alongside them and he he kind of rebukes them for not reading the story well enough because. His perspective is that Israel's whole story for hundreds of years has been to, prepared, to prepare for this day. And he says, we have been planning laying Easter eggs all through that story so that today you would see what's going on. Now, I love, I love when I can see an Easter egg in a movie. I love it when in Raiders of the Lost Ark, you see little pictures of R2-D2 and C3PO in a totem. Or even for me, it's wonderful. that every single um, Alfred Hitchcock movie, He inserts himself with a little cameo. And in every one of the Marvel Comic Universe movies, Stan Lee would put himself in. What Jesus wants these guys to recognize is if if you had been reading closely the story, you would have seen little pictures of me, of my death, my resurrection, my suffering, and my glory throughout. And so for, I don't know, six or seven miles, probably at a very slow pace, he takes them all the way through Scripture so that they can get a picture. Now, I, I, don't, I don't know the Easter eggs that he would have laid out for them, but here are the ones that I see and wonder if these are the things that he talked to them about. To Adam and Eve, no sooner than do they fall than God says, one of your descendants will crush the head of the serpent, even though his heel will be bruised. A little later in Genesis, there's a big flood that's a coming. And God tells the one righteous man to build an ark, gather his family in it, and they will ride out the storm and they will give humanity a whole new start. A little later in Genesis, God stays the hand of Abraham when he is about to deal the death blow to his prized son. And God substitutes a ram, looking forward to a day when God would provide his own son as a substitute. You go to the story of the Exodus, which if you're doing the daily office, you know that we've been reading that story. In the Exodus, the Passover lamb is slain. And the blood is put on the lintel of the door and on the doorposts of the door. And in hindsight, how can I not see a crown of thorns at the top and nails through wrists at the side? And then we go to the Red Sea. And at the Red Sea, God sends the angel of the Lord and a pillar of cloud stand between God's people and the and, and Pharaoh's army in the 2nd century Irenaeus says these look like the two strong arms of God the arm of his victorious mighty son and the arm of his guiding protecting spirit then you go to the prophets and Jonah talks about how he then well, the prophet Jonah we find out he goes for 3 days and 3 nights in the belly of a whale to be brought up from that kind of death and to have his own prophetic call renewed on this earth. Jesus said, "One better than Jonah is here." As we read that story carefully, we cannot help but get a sense of how far back God's purposes to do us good and to bring health and life and salvation go, and how far that they will extend, because his intentions are imperishable towards you and me. A second thing I'd like us to think about is precious, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It's really interesting to me that in Peter's passage, he refers to God as an impartial judge who has invited us to call him Father. Think about that. The one who is the impartial judge of the universe, whose job is to reward good and to punish evil. Well, if he is really impartial towards any one of us, All that we deserve is the coldest, darkest, remotest place. But he, he wants us to call him Father. It's like like the judge of the universe has come from behind the bench, has taken off his robes, and has put his arms around us. And he said, Come home. Come home with me. Be my child. Take my name. And take my inheritance. Peter says that the cost of his being able to do that is the precious blood of Christ, worth more than silver or gold. He could have, he could have said plutonium. He could have said diamonds he could have said yachts he could have said mansions it doesn't matter in the in the mysterious divine economy there's nothing more precious in the universe than the blood of Jesus Christ and God himself has opened the coffers of heaven and poured out his wealth because he had decided notice what well, Look early in 1 Peter and notice that he calls us destined and chosen, elect. He found a way to satisfy the demands of his impartial judgment through the precious blood of Jesus Christ because this judge doesn't want to squash us. He wants to bring us home. Notice that he says he did this for you. And friend, that means you, your name. He loved you so much that he opened the treasure of heaven and spent all that he had so that he could be in relationship with you. You are precious. And that is why he shed the precious blood of his son. The the third thing I'd like us to think about, I'd like you to notice, is the way that Peter talks about souls that have been purified. Now, I have a friend, and one of his favorite sayings was, I'm grateful for mixed motives. Because if I didn't have mixed motives, I wouldn't have any motives at all. And I can totally relate to that. But here's the thing, God's intention for you, his intention for me, is to meddle enough not to leave it that way. To work in our lives by the presence of his Son, by the presence of his Holy Spirit to make us different to move us beyond mixed motives and hidden agendas and divided minds. My my wife raises puppies for Canine Companions for Independence, and we have one of their great dogs right now. But we also have a couple of uh, guests, because Canine Companions for Independence here in Central Florida has had to shelter in place their, their, the dogs that are in advanced training. So we have a couple of rascals at home. One of them is this gloriously energetic uh, Labrador Retriever named Jasper. Jasper, when Jasper wakes up in the morning, he is asking, when will they throw the ball so I can get it? This dog has a pure and unadulterated passion to go get the ball and bring it back so that you can throw it again. I mean, this dog, he's like a center fielder. You throw it and he'll just turn his back and he'll catch it over his shoulder or the shortstop that takes the fly ball in short center or left field. That's Jasper. Well, we took him out to the pool and we didn't really know if he could swim or not. So uh, Mrs. Kidd threw the tennis ball out and Jasper stood there and he said, I want that ball. And he jumped into the water. And then you, you remember what it's like when Wiley Coyote runs off the cliff. And all of a sudden he's in the air and he's just going like this. Have you seen a dog that doesn't know how they swim? They look like Wiley Coyote. And he's going like that. And then all of a sudden he gets a picture of the ball and he starts going for the ball because that's all he really wants and all of a sudden his stroke smooths out and he grabs the ball and brings it back and he's ready to go and the next time we throw it he didn't just jump in he just dives way out there and his stroke is so confident because he found out that the water would hold him if he just pure if he just turned his pure view on the ball and didn't worry about what was going on underneath them. I I wanna be like Jasper. And that's what the Lord is doing in my life. I know he's doing it in the lives of so many that are part of this church family. Reaching out tentatively, really pretty self-aware that we don't love perfectly but also knowing that our Lord has set his affections upon us with an imperishable plan, with a precious blood, to purify our hearts, to to use the language of 1 Peter, to cleanse our hearts and to give us an unhypocritical love for the brotherhood and the sisterhood. Today, my prayer for you is that you take hold of the imperishable things that God has set to, to work in your life to bring you home, that you would give thanks for the precious blood of Jesus Christ that has been shed, because you are precious to him. And then just step out, go for the ball. And even if you feel your legs underneath you and you feel like you're going to fall because I might not love well enough, trust that what is under you is not thin air, but the environment of the Holy Spirit that will enable you to swim, even to fly. Thank you so much for being with us in worship today and know that my heart is with you, and my prayers are with you, and I long for the day when we can be back together and we can share the bread and share the wine and pass the kiss of peace, whatever that's gonna look like on the far side of this. But I want you to know that my prayer for you is that the great God who brought the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead will be abundantly alive in you. To him be the glory in Christ Jesus and in the church, working with a power that's able to do beyond all that we could ask or even think to ask. To him be the glory. Amen. Amen.